Hello, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, everyone out there tuning in. You are now listening to the Kaderna Podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. So thanks for tuning in today. I think we got a really exciting episode. What we're going to be touching on is the top five millennial money mistakes. Okay, so the millennials, that generation we just can't seem to hear enough about today. We're going to take a deep dive into what I should say we are doing, as I do fall into that category. So what our generation is doing in respect to money, uh, how it's affecting the economy, and what the future looks like with some of the key mistakes that we're currently making along the way. So before we dive into all that fun content, though, I just want to thank all you guys for listening. If uh, you haven't noticed on some of my posts and social media out there, we've shot up to number 415 on Apple Podcasts. I saw the number. I didn't really care that much. And then I actually heard that there's over 500,000 podcasts on there. So pretty, uh, pretty good number. And I have you guys, obviously, to thank for that. So keep spreading the good word. Uh, tune in, whether it be Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, um, now on YouTube, wherever it may be, and tell your friends, everybody to, to review it, check it out. We can't thank you enough, and that's how we can keep getting this, um, this information and, and this financial knowledge out to you folks. So thanks again, and uh, I think that we're going to have a lot of fun today. I hope you're having a great day, and we're going to make it even better because this is some important information that people need to know because half the battle is just not making these critical mistakes. All right, If we can mitigate risk, take away mistakes, now you're in a pretty good position financially speaking. So who are millennials? We can't hear enough about them, like I said. They're folks that are born between 1981 and 1996. The reason why you're hearing so much about them, millennials currently make up over 50% of the workforce, and that number is growing every day. Uh, we're in the information age. There's just endless data out there. Um, so we definitely are kind of putting millennials under a microscope, and uh, it, it's pretty exciting. But the mistakes that I'm going to get into in a moment, they don't just apply to millennials. That's what I always heard about. You know, when I came out with my book a few years ago, it was called Millennial Millionaire. All right. It was really just a catchy title to try and share a lot of my experiences and financial know-how. Uh, and then a lot of people said, well, I'm not a millennial. I'll put it down. I don't need to read that. I don't want you guys to make that error with this podcast because while today's episode definitely focuses on the young professional, these are mistakes I've seen everybody of all ages make. So please stay tuned in. And one key thing, if you don't recall from last week's episode, we now have a trivia question we're going to throw in at the end, and that's going to be the uh, path to getting the $10 Amazon gift card that we raffle off every Sunday. So the key email address we all want to remember here, I'll say it now, I'll say it at the end, thekadernapodcast at gmail.com. If you have the correct answer, shoot it over and you'll be uh, one of the random winners. Uh, and then if you also have any suggestions for future topics, I've been getting a lot of um, feedback and we want to just try and uh, kind of centralize everything to the Kaderna podcast at gmail.com to that address and bring your suggestions and your questions in. I'll probably end up on a future episode and uh, we'll keep making this kind of a team approach to a fun podcast. So enough of this infomercial. Let's get right into it. What are the top five millennial money mistakes? Number one, guys, without a doubt, the failure to budget. Okay, I see this constantly, again, of all age ranges. It's been going on forever. This is where you have to essentially become your own personal accountant. You have to create a family or a household budget. Or if you're a business owner, your company definitely needs a budget. You got to know what's coming in and going out every month. 
Otherwise, it's like we're kind of playing the game and we're not even keeping score. And obviously, then we don't really play as effectively as we should. All right. So what do we have to do to create a budget? I think the first two reasons why people don't do it, frankly, I mean, we all get a little bit lazy sometimes. There's other things in our lives that we feel take precedent and budgeting, that kind of boring act of just crunching numbers that may get shoved to the back burner. Or what I often hear from people is we're waiting for that perfect time. You know, I'm just going to, once I get through this credit card, once I get through my friend's wedding that we're planning, once we get through the holidays, all these things were always waiting and waiting and waiting for that perfect opportunity. And meanwhile, time passes us by. So what I'm going to ask of you, what I implore you to do is recognize that there won't be a perfect time. And please don't fall prey to just kind of laziness and uh, just kind of being easily satisfied with the status quo and really get the most you can out of your hard work that you put into work every single day. So now that we know we do have to budget and we're all in agreement on that page, cash is king. So how much of this cash should you have? My rule of thumb, I like to see people with about six months expenses sitting in cash. By cash, I mean your checking, your savings, money market, any of those cash equivalents. As long as you have about six months of your expenses, I would consider that an adequate rainy day fund. Okay. The reason being that's going to put you in control, which you've probably already heard me say, talk so much about being in control of your situation, playing the game on your own terms and being able to act rationally rather than feel that you're getting pinched in positions where you have to unfortunately act either emotionally or irrationally. Cash will give you much more of that comfort and that flexibility to not be so reactionary to problems that arise, but actually proactive to opportunities that arise. Okay, so six months of your expenses. Above and beyond that, I often encourage people to set up what I call a special expenses fund. This is something above and beyond in which you say, okay, over the next zero to three years, I have a pretty high probability of this obligation coming up. Maybe that's an engagement ring. You know, you're hearing wedding bells. Maybe it's your wedding. Maybe it's, you know, your car is acting up, making noises, and you know you're going to have to buy a new car soon. Any of those things, we would prefer to see people at least have the option to pay cash, or at least a lot of that via cash, rather than be forced to get some financing or, you know, make, again, a, a decision that's not in their best interest. So, again, that rainy day fund can become what I call a sunny day fund uh, by giving you that flexibility. And above and beyond just your, you know, saying, okay, I got my six months, I'm good. One of the habits, which I always focus on habits, I like to see people save about 20% of their gross income. All right, I think that's a good number that if we can stick to that paycheck by paycheck, month by month, year by year, 20% of our income, that's going to eradicate a lot of the other pitfalls that we might run into. Okay. And some people say, well, what about, you know, your net income or some other figure that we can jot 20% off of? Just like one of my old track coaches used to always say, when it comes to track, when it comes to finance, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Each time you try and make a shortcut and, uh, you know, make yourself mentally feel, you know, complacent with that, just remember, it's only going to possibly hurt you in the long run, you know, no one else. So be a saver, okay, just like our grandparents probably already said to us. Six months expenses, save 20% along the way, build that special expense fund, and now all of a sudden it's like you get to impose your will on the financial world as opposed to possibly be a victim of it. So that's number one, guys, failure to budget. 
Um, and along those lines, just to kind of in closing on this number one mistake, you might be saying, I get it, Brian. I listened to your podcast. I read your book. I want a budget, but I just, even though we set up the budget, I can't find that money. I don't, I don't know where else it is. I get that. And I, I'm certainly sensitive to that point. But the reality of it is if we know we want to improve our situation, we have to take action. There are two ways we can do that. We can either increase our income or we can decrease our expenses. That's it. There's nothing mystical and magical. That's the only two variables in the equation. So if you say, I want to keep my lifestyle, then we have to up that income. All right. That could be taking on a second job and overtime shift. This is the gig economy. Maybe we pick up something on the side to add a little extra. Okay. Or if you're saying, I'm already tapped out, I'm, I'm busy with the kids, the family, etc. My income's set, not much I could do there. Then we do have to take a hard look at the expenses. And maybe it's simple adjustments. Maybe it's, you know, picking a new cable plan. Maybe it's looking at a new cell phone plan. Maybe it's not getting Starbucks every day and making our own coffee. Maybe not eating out every weekend, but, you know, shopping at the grocery store and getting into cooking at home. Simple changes, guys, that don't have to alter your lifestyle that much, but will either increase income or decrease expenses and make marginal improvements that then can get us to the budget and the cash position that we want. So number one mistake, failure to budget. Number two, kind of direct progression of mistake number one is credit cards gone wild. All right? Credit cards can become a poison to a financial plan if they are not handled correctly. And what I mean by that is if we find ourselves in a position where we're constantly carrying a balance that we can't get rid of, it's like getting a knife on a financial treadmill and it's really burning us out and we're not getting anywhere. And the machine's going to win just like the credit card will. Okay. So, you know, I always interject a little bit of history and I'd be remiss if I didn't today. You might be saying, how did the entire credit world even come about? I'm going to tell you. So in 1792 BC, all the way back in Babylon, there was an emperor, Emperor Hammurabi, and he came up with the Hammurabi Code. And in there, he actually explained, this was the first written word that we can reference, he explained how one could lend to another and create repayment terms to repay that loan. So this goes back as, as far as, way before our times as we can even fathom. And if we fast forward many, many generations past the BC era, all the way up to 1950, that's where we actually saw the first credit card. It was called the Diners Club Credit Card. It was created by Ralph Schneider and another gentleman, Frank McNamara. And they created this credit card. And one thing, I, a footnote I found very interesting here, it was a credit card, as you and I know today. However, it had to be paid off in full at the end of every month. If we had kept that stipulation, stipulation in effect to this day, we probably wouldn't have so many of the issues that we've found uh, through the credit card uh, industry. So currently, right now, according to the Federal Reserve in 2019, we now have over a trillion dollars outstanding on credit cards. Just an unfathomable number. And according to WalletHub, the average credit card interest rate now is 19.24%. Think about that, guys. I'll grab a hypothetical number, but it's probably fairly accurate. If you're getting about 1% at your, at, in your savings account, and meanwhile, you have a credit card on the other end averaging over 19%. All right, think about that from an institution or from a bank's perspective. You give us 10 grand over the year, we'll give you 1%. We'll give you a stick of gum at the end of the year. 
Meanwhile, we're going to practice wealth in motion, multiple uses of the dollar, and we're going to lend that out to other consumers at almost 20%. Look at that spread, 1 to 20. It doesn't take a, you know, a mathematician here. That's arbitrage, folks. That's why these credit card companies can become so profitable through the usury laws that allow them to, what people say, get away with high-rate robbery. All right? But they get away with it because we're the ones that put ourselves in that position. So you can't fall prey to that. I always tell people, you know, credit card can be a beautiful thing. If you use it in a good, smart, disciplined manner and you use it every month, you pay that off, zero it out every month. It's a great way to establish credit history. Great way to raise your FICO score. But if we can't zero that out at the end of the month, then we probably should not be taking on that debt. And why do people take on that debt? Because they didn't follow the mistake number one of building a budget or a cash cushion. Okay, so we went mistake number one, failure to budget, leads to mistake number two, credit cards going wild. And then we have mistake number three, and this one is probably millennial specific, and that is student loan debt. So we'll attack this from two angles today. On the front end, you might be a young listener out there saying, I'm really interested in finance and I want to you know, make smart choices moving forward. And kudos to you. Uh, I'm proud of you for doing that. What I would encourage is to think long and hard about the price tag of college and the value you're getting on the back end. So what I mean by that is <clears throat> certainly pursue your passion. I'm all for that. And I think that's the beauty of college is they can, you know, expand upon that passion and perhaps lead it into a career, you know, and that's what we all dream for. But there is a price tag to college. Okay. So recognize that and think about on the back end, where am I going now with this new shiny diploma? Okay. There does need to be a bit of a business decision that takes place so that we have some economical thinking. So that on now attacking it from the other angle where you're saying, well, I'm a millennial just like you. I already made my decisions about college. I went where I went. I stayed there as long as I stayed there. It is what it is now. And I got student loan debt. Okay, so let's, let's talk about your situation now. <clears throat> what I would encourage you to do, first look into forgiveness options. Okay, there's a lot of them out there. We won't touch on it today. We're going to save that for like an episode down the road because I think it is important. Two, speak with your employer, or if you're starting to interview for a job, bring it up, as a lot of large employers now give relief for student loan debt to their employees. Uh, and even furthermore, if you want to pursue more education, maybe a master's degree, a lot of employers out there will help with uh, education uh, tuition assistance, excuse me, that's a tough one, an education tuition assistance program. So get to know these, know the options that are out there to you. And then third, if you're saying, I get that, but I got to pay this stuff, Brian. What am I going to do? What I would say to you is look into consolidating and refinancing those loans. Uh, do your homework. Know what those options are out there. Of course, we want to find a low interest rate, but perhaps even more important is going to be how are we actually repaying these every month? So understand the terms of your repayment. Is it a five-year? Is it a 10-year? Is it a 20-year repayment? A lot of you might be saying 20 year, that's crazy. I, I want to get rid of these student loans. I can't take them anymore. But think about the two mistakes that we just let in with budget and credit cards. One way to perhaps alleviate those mistakes is by having a lower monthly payment on your student loans. Furthermore, that would be a longer repayment term. So sometimes I tell people it's not maybe the worst debt in the world. And maybe we take a longer repayment. We cross off the first two boxes I referenced. 
And then if we find ourselves in a better position a few years down the road, then maybe we can start prepaying those student loans and get rid of them quickly like we originally hoped to. All right, so know your situation. You know, student loan debt, I get it, it's crazy. According to uh, New York Fed's quarterly report on household debt and credit, I had the pleasure of reading this exciting paper recently. According to the Fed, there's over 1.5 trillion of student loan debt out there. Just crazy number, guys. 1.5 trillion and growing every single day. I, I do agree with a lot of people that say it's a bit of an epidemic, but I think there's a lot of correction down the pipe, and we'll talk about that again in other episodes. But just know what you're getting into, and if you're already in it, know your way out of it. Just have a game plan. It doesn't have to happen overnight. I know it may feel like a noose around your neck, but I think the first two mistakes that I brought up today are even more important than your student loans. Okay? So number one, budget. Number two, credit card debt. Number three, student loans. Number four, and this is a, maybe the biggest one that I see and perhaps the most impactful. <clears throat> and what happens is I do, like I've mentioned, I do thousands of these workshops for millennials out there on financial literacy. And I often lead in with, you know, what do you want to talk about? What are your goals? What are your dreams? And without a doubt, one of the most popular ones I hear is, I want to be a homeowner. I want to buy my first house. And I love that. I'm all for real estate. I think it's a part of the American dream. But it needs to be part of a bigger plan. It can't just be a acting in a vacuum, just one goal that we're blindly chasing. Okay. And if that happens, what number uh, number four mistake is, is house rich, cash poor. And this is a situation I find a lot where they this client, let's say Mr. and Mrs. Young Professional, fall in love with this house or this condo they found. They throw their whole rainy day fund at it. They get into a mortgage that's either pushing the limit or maybe right above their head. And before you know it, they've got closing costs that were higher than they thought. They wiped out their savings. And now they moved into this beautiful place. And guess what? It's empty. And they say, well, we need couches. We need a TV. We need to get, you know, Netflix. We need to get Wi-Fi so that the Netflix isn't so blurry and it's actually streaming in nicely. And before you know it, they've got all these expenses. And then the roof's leaking or the hot water heater's going or they need to fix the toilet. And all of a sudden they say, you know, we've got so much house, but how do we afford all this? And of course, we take the good old American way. We whip out the credit card. And before they know it, they're all the way back to square one. And now the treadmill's moving even faster. Because now, not only do they have their normal lifestyle, but they've got a mortgage payment that they need to hit every month like clockwork. So my point is, do your homework. Be very careful with this decision because buying a home may be one of the biggest financial decisions of your life. Okay? Do not overlook that. Give it some, some thorough thought. I often tell people maybe waiting one more year to buy that house probably isn't going to be a life-changing decision. But buying now when you should wait one more year, that could be a life-changing decision. And unfortunately, you can't just back out of it. Okay, That can be a long 30-year obligation, and you want to be ready for it. So just to recap, number one mistake Failure to budget. Number two, credit cards gone wild. Three, student loan debt. Four, house rich, cash poor. And number five, the one that has been wreaking havoc since the beginning of time, is meeting the Joneses. We all fall prey to it. We meet the Joneses, and then we want to keep up with them. That's our human nature, especially here in America. We are a competitive society. We often want to one-up one another, 
And what better way to do that through than materials and money and showing that money. So I constantly tell people, and, and I hate to be the preacher, and sometimes I don't feel it's my place, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. We need to live within our means. And if we can live within our means and pay ourselves first, then by all means, no pun intended, let's then move forward and uh, you know splurge and, and buy the finer things in life and, and treat yourself. I get it. Life is meant to be enjoyed. Money's meant to be spent, as some would say. But let's not let that kind of dictate the situation. All right. Make sure we're not falling into mistakes one through four and get the budget and the household in order and then do things that, you know, appeal to you. I, in today's day and age, you know, I've met so many people and, and, you know, I might even fall into this category too. And just human nature, like everyone else, we make a post on Facebook, we make an Instagram, you know, photo. Why do we do that? We want to share it with people. We, it's, it's human nature. Again, we want recognition. We want to be noticed. We want, you know, to be able to interact with others and to show others what we're doing or what we have. But I think we could all agree that that post or that, that act is more important to us and probably not that important to the other people we hope or think are actually viewing it. So before we make that big purchase or, or go you know, on that vacation or whatever it is that we're doing, make sure you're doing it for yourself and not for others. Okay, because I think that little bit of vanity can truly wreak havoc and it's done so forever, long before our time and I'm sure long after. So avoiding these common errors can definitely help millennials and any generation for that matter make sound financial decisions and then graduate into what more financial talking heads want to go over as far as investing in the markets and doing all different kind of wealth building steps uh, that we all will certainly talk about in the future. All right, but those are unequivocally, in my opinion, and according to most of the data out there, the top five millennial money mistakes. Failure to budget, credit cards gone wild, student loan debt, house rich, cash poor, and meeting the Joneses. So please, guys, do not make these mistakes, and I think it will eliminate a lot of that stress and put you in a financially sound position. If you're wondering what a financially sound position looks like, it's without these mistakes, and go listen to our pilot episode of the five, the five tenets of financial planning to go from a negative scenario I just kind of outlined here to a positive scenario that I outlined in episode one. All right, so thank you so much for tuning in, guys. And real quick, we have a trivia question. I can't overlook that. So tonight's trivia question is, this is a fun one because it, it kind of blew me away. What is the average lifespan of an American $1 bill? Okay, again, the trivia question is, what is the average lifespan of an American $1 bill? Okay, that means how long is it in circulation and actually changing hands out in the, the general public? I always just thought that bills go out into you know the world and then they just kind of float around until you lose them. But they actually pull them out of circulation, so I, I wasn't aware of this. All right, so I'll, I'll narrow this down because you might be getting confused already. What's the average lifespan of an American $1 bill? The answer is A, three years, B, five years, or C, nine years. Average lifespan $1 bill, A, three years, B, five years, C, nine years. If you think you have the right answer, it's, you got a one out of three chance here, email it over to thecadernapodcast at gmail.com. 
We're going to randomly select one of those correct answers on Sunday night, and you might be getting the $10 Amazon gift card. Thanks again for tuning in. Keep reviewing, keep sharing the word, and let's keep getting uh, this financial knowledge out there. With all thy getting, get understanding. Thanks. This is your host, Brian Kaderna, signing off from the Kaderna Podcast. Have a great week. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Listeners should contact their own tax or legal advisors in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities products and services and advisory services are offered through PAS, a registered broker dealer and investment advisor, 973-244-4420. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance LLC are not affiliates or subsidiaries of PAS or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance LLC, a general agency of the Guardian. PAS is a member of FINRA SIPC, California Insurance License Number OK04194.